1: Hello,
0: everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink to expand your life. Got another doctor with me here today. Dr. Carol Master. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Paul. It's an honor to be invited to be on your show.
0: It's an honor to have you sitting on my couch. (laughs) Did you know you'd be on the shrink's couch today?
1: No, I didn't.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> but you know I have a positive psychology practice, and we have vacated all of the taboos of traditional psychotherapy, because here at Live on Purpose Radio, it's all about living on purpose, and I think you have something to share with our guests. So as a quick introduction, you are—you hold a PhD in, I've, I'm forgetting the exact field, it's a multidisciplinary right. area.
1: I- um, I have a doctorate in human development and family relations. Right. So I okay. taught, taught at university ten years uh, in that area.
0: So that's not the reason you're on my show. No, I don't think so. <laughs> not, not even really very close. You're you're living your life, minding your own business, having some typical human challenges. Can we call them that?
1: Yeah, except they were compressed into a 18-month period. I A had tight f- period of time. Four major life crises in 18 months.
0: And this is when you were around 50, half a century old.
1: Right. I'm a late bloomer, but this seemed to be a little too much at age 50. My life fell apart basically.
0: Just the whole bottom fell out. Sure Boom. enough. Yep. Now we're talking health challenges. We're talking um, relationship challenges. We're talking death in the family. All just, boom, hit you at once.
1: Lost my job. Job that I wanted very much. Forgot
0: to mention that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I say typical life challenges, these are things that people typically encounter. But it's uncommon, perhaps, to have them come all at once or just clobber you at the same time. I think a lot of our listeners could relate, though, because sometimes life beats you up a bit. Yeah. And you experienced this.
1: I did. It felt like every time I tried to get up, I'd get hit by another Mack truck Ugh. and was getting turned into road pizza. So it may seem counterintuitive, but the short version of the story is I ran away to the mountains to heal.
0: You ran to the mountains to heal. Yeah. Now, dear listeners, we're not talking the grassy foothills. We're, we're talking mountains, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Some pretty good sized mountains. <laughs>
0: um, one example that I am very familiar with because of your book No Magic Helicopter and and folks, Carol has written a couple of books. No Magic Helicopter is one that I'll talk about in just a moment because I've, I've read it and I'm fascinated. Um, another one called Brightest of Silver Linings. Uh, these are both books about some of your adventures in climbing the world's most challenging and highest peaks. So No Magic Helicopter is about your summit of Mount Everest. And this happened when you were 61 years, seven and a half months old.
1: Oh, you have done your homework, Dr. Paul. I certainly Good on have. You.
0: <laughs> you stood on the summit of Mount Everest at that age, which I understand, at least at the time of the writing of your book, was a record for the oldest woman Not from America.
1: From America, yes. Uh, there was a Japanese woman who had climbed it at age 63, so for some time, I considered, well, maybe i want to get to be 65, maybe 66. Take another I'll, little trek. I'll break the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she reset her own record in 2012 at age 73. Did got, she really? Enough. Okay. Wow. Okay. She's, a good, she's a better woman than I. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's how I feel about it now. So I am currently number three for Everest, but currently the oldest woman in the world, to my knowledge, that's climbed the highest peak in each continent, sometimes known mm-hmm. as the Seven Summits. This is remarkable.
0: And I don't know that you set out in your life saying, hey, I am going to be a world record mountaineer. <laughs> Although you've always had an interest in mountains.
1: Well, not always, uh, Dr. Mm. Paul. I think the seeds of the whole mountain thing started when I wasn't quite seven. I was a member of a rather unfortunate club. I was a polio patient and was All incarcerated right. in a polio ward in Wichita, Kansas, which was not my home city. That's kind of a long story of why I was there. And I was very sick and Mm -hmm. uh, had to stay in bed and lie flat on my back. Once I got over the acute illness and began to feel a little better, I was pretty bored and had plenty of time to think about what I wanted to do with my life when I got yeah. out of the, what felt like jail to an active six-year-old who well, had just I, learned to ride a bike and was learning how to swim, and you yeah. know, suddenly I couldn't do any of that. And I thought, I want to do something outstanding. Yeah. I just didn't know what it was until I was uh, over age 60. <laughs> so it took me a <laughs> long <laughs> time. You figured it out. <laughs> and it was a long, torturous path to get into uh, mountaineering, but that's, wow. that was the path that I chose.
0: You've learned a lot through these experiences.
1: It's not just about getting to these high, exquisitely beautiful places. It's about the lessons learned along the way. Right. And inspiring other people to overcome their challenges, whatever they might be, whether they're... Uh, desired challenges like becoming Mm -hmm. a rock musician or Mm -hmm. a published author or a successful parent I mean whatever it is or unwanted ones like battling cancer as I was finishing No Magic Helicopter and Aging Amazon's Climb of Everest a colleague and a friend of mine had fourth stage cancer and I wasn't sure whether he would live to see the book so I gave him an advanced copy Oh. And I'm happy to say he got through that crisis. Wow. So I dedicate this book to all who face challenges, both wanted and unwanted.
0: And Everest and all these other peaks that you have taken on become symbols of other challenges that we all get to face. Oh, for sure. For it's sure. inevitable, wouldn't you say?
1: Ah. Uh, well, you know, the way I see it is we can choose to live our lives inside a cotton lined matchbox, small, hmm. comfortable, cozy, or we can stretch our growing edge. And I prefer the latter. <laughs> yes,
0: you do. I don't
1: like small, cozy, and dark. I like bright, light, and high. But it means it's not always comfortable. You know, it's not always fun. It's not always a free ride.
0: Well, comfort isn't really. Part of the equation, when you stretch like that.
1: Well, comfort becomes, redefines itself. I mean, comfort suddenly becomes a drink of cold water when you really need it.
0: It's, it's very relative, isn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, whereas, you know, we drink ice water in restaurants all the time without even thinking about mm-hmm. how wonderful it is to have cold, clean water when your body really needs it.
0: Right, right. Uh, perspective, one of my favorite topics. (laughs) (laughs) And you can learn a lot of perspective when you take on these life's challenges. Yes, indeed. When I said inevitable, I think like yourself, there are those out there who push themselves and stretch and find that challenge. And there are others. When I said inevitable, I think life happens to you whether you go do something intentionally or not. Oh, it'll
1: find you, yes.
0: <laughs> it's going to find you aging, for example. Yeah. Uh, one a- of my show guests, by the way, Carol, and I should introduce you to, um, Mary Louise Zeller. I don't know if you know Mary Louise. I do not. Uh, she, taught, she introduced me to a concept she calls you thing.
1: <laughs> That's great. <laughs>
0: and I love the mental aspect. But there's this other very real thing that we get to face in our life that... There, there is a predictable exit strategy. Uh, no one gets out of this alive.
1: This is true. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: but that's not necessarily bad news. While we're here, what are we going to do?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And how can we use this life to the fullest? So you found an escape to the mountains. Could you, I think before the break, I would love to have our guests get a little better appreciation of just what kind of an undertaking this was for you to, to climb Mount Everest?
1: Sure. I mean, a lot of people think of it in terms of physical challenges, and that's certainly a big part of it. One needs to be very fit, and that is especially a challenge when one is over age 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a financial commitment. It's an interpersonal commitment. You were away from those you know and love for maybe 10 weeks in a foreign country. Well, hang on. With different... 10 co- weeks? Yes, Seventy days, I was away to climb Everest.
0: Now, I was hoping that you would mention that because Adam, who's sitting here helping us tech this show, uh, last summer he comes in and says, "Hey, Dad, do you want to go climb Temp? I'm like, "Sure, when?" He's like, "How about after you get off work?" <laughs> <laughs> now we're at the the foot of Mount Timpanogos here in Utah Valley, and the summit of Timpanogos is, I think, eleven seven something like that, That's eleven thousand seven hundred right. feet. Um, we took off after after work on like 5 o'clock on a Friday or something, and we summited right around midnight, and we weren't hurrying. So, compare and contrast, base camp at Mount Everest. How long does it take you to get there? What's the elevation? Just give us a, sure. a quick overview, if you would.
1: Well, I climbed Mount Everest from the Nepal side, the classic um, Sir Edmund Hillary, Tenzing Norgay okay. route. Mm-hmm. So you come in, uh, first you fly into Kathmandu, the capital of the country, and then... Which uh, takes
0: several days th- if yeah, you're flying took, from here. Yeah,
1: took parts of three calendar days. I mean, you've got the dateline mm-hmm. business and all mm-hmm. of that. So there's half of the first week gone right there, just getting mm-hmm. there. Um, then it takes a few days to arrange for a climbing permit, and that is just to pick it up. I mean, you've purchased this months and months in advance. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive, but it needs to be picked up, the actual documentation needs to be picked up and so you have your papers with you and that mm-hmm. is a whole complex story of 2008 when they weren't issuing climbing permits even though we would paid for them so there were some extra days spent in Kathmandu trying to sort that uh, then one flies from Kathmandu to Lukla which is a, a village in the Kumbu so- Solo region of Nepal
0: this is up in the Himalayas
1: right it's at about 9,000 feet elevation and then, then from there anything with wheels is useless you walk. Or whatever goes in goes on the back of somebody or something, some sort of animal. Mm -hmm. So for about 45 miles into Everest Base Camp. Now, we took 11 days to do that. That may not seem very fast. But what we're doing is we're climbing high and sleeping low, climbing high and sleeping low. So we would go to a particular village and stay there for two or three days and then climb surrounding mountains to climb high and then come down to that village and sleep low
0: and what you're doing is physiologically preparing your body for the kind of altitude demands that will be placed exactly. on exactly in we're in invo- the next week
1: stressing the body a little bit inviting it to um Develop more hemoglobin, the red blood cells, so that our blood can carry more oxygen. There are other changes that aren't as well understood to help the body acclimatize Mm -hmm. to increasingly high elevations. Because eventually, when we summit Everest, we're at the level that some planes fly. The human body is not designed to survive up there without some extra help.
0: So 45 miles to base camp, elevation?
1: Elevation at base camp, where we were camping, was 17,600 feet.
0: 17,000
1: that was where we lived when we were not climbing higher on the mountain. So at first, when you come into Everest Base Camp, it's a very rugged environment. It's basically a glacier covered with boulders. Mm-hmm. So, And a glacier is a slow-moving river of ice full of giant cracks and giant blocks. and
0: Which causes other
1: hazards. Indeed. Uh. Um, so you're, you're in this really hostile environment. It's hard to catch your breath. The simplest tasks make you breathless and tired. But that becomes your paradise, your your rest station once the body begins to get used to it. I'm here to say, even after nine weeks at that elevation, I wasn't still quite used to it. We had a big celebration yes. dance after it was all over. I'm getting a little ahead of myself in my story, but it's a yeah. really interesting experience trying to do popular, you know, dancing the way the kids <laughs> at do. At altitude. At altitude, yeah. <laughs>
0: so I think you've laid a pretty good introduction for us here. Carol, we're talking very extreme, very strenuous, from both a physical and a mental standpoint. Yes. And the lessons that you learned in doing so. We'll dive into some of those as we come back from this break. Cool. We'll be right back.
2: You've heard the question a hundred times. Is the glass half empty or half full? If we are in negativity mode, we see the glass as half empty. Anyone can see it's half empty. When we are feeling negative, we focus on what is missing and lament the lack of water in the glass. When we are feeling more positive, we see the glass as half full. Of course it is half full. Anyone can see that. We focus on what we desire and celebrate the presence of water. Then there are those who see it as completely full all the time. These seemingly crazy people are not just positive. They are pathologically positive. Pathological positivity is an empowering mental supernormality that lifts us above the normal perception of reality. It is a higher level of thinking. We see the glass and our lives as completely full, even in the toughest situations. If you've enjoyed Live On Purpose Radio, then you will love Dr. Paul Jenkins' book on pathological positivity. Available now to order, visit pathologicalpositivity.com to get your copy today. That's pathologicalpositivity.com.
0: Thank you for listening to Live On Purpose Radio. We're so glad to have you here. Please come by the website, drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, drpauljenkins.com. On the website, you'll have an opportunity to receive a free download. And while you're there, make sure you click on the social media icons. Come over to Facebook, where we will be posting these episodes as well as our YouTube videos and other content and announcements for you to share. Please like us, comment, subscribe, join the conversation. We're happy to have you with us here at Live On Purpose Radio. Let's all support each other to live on purpose. Dr. Paul Jenkins.com.
2: Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. Gandhi.
0: So, uh, Carol, before the break, you, you led us up to base camp, an elevation of 17,000-plus feet, which is like 6,000 feet above the highest summit next to my office. <laughs> okay, so that's the context. And that was just to get to base camp. So you already shared with us that there's about a 10-week process to get to the summit. There's no possible way we could talk about all of the stories all of the lessons that were learned as you made that ascent. But folks, her book, Carol's book, No Magic Helicopter, details the whole thing for you. So go get it. It's it's fascinating to read your account, Carol. But I, I, I want to focus on a day when actually it started in the evening, your summit ascent. That's right you have to you have to actually start this in the evening in order for the timing to work out for you to get to the summit and back to camp 4 i think it was camp yes. 4 um there's a lot of stories from that day too but what what's standing out in my mind is an image and you've captured it here on the front of your book of you at the summit And I don't know if this picture is actually you at the summit, but that's what it symbolizes for me. This is you at the summit.
1: I know it's kind of hard to tell with all the gear on, but that is me. (laughs) I think it's Carol in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're this was a balmy day. It was only 15 below.
1: Balmy day for Everest. It had been quite windy during Mm -hmm. the night climb. Mm -hmm. I nearly got blown off the ridge above the balcony. Balcony is kind of a yeah. Landmark uh, during this summit climb from the highest camp mm-hmm. uh, where we started about 26,000 feet and then go to just over ni- 29,000 feet to the summit. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been tough. I nearly turned back, and that, that is a very um, vivid uh, part of the experience for me. Yes. But uh, Dr. Paul, you've asked me to talk about getting to the summit, and mm. that was magic. Yeah. That was absolute magic. When it became clear that I had a fighting chance, I felt as though I were going to explode with joy. I was not an obvious candidate to go to the summit. I had really struggled at some points and wasn't even sure I would be chosen or allowed to proceed to the summit. So I was just so full of gratitude and joy, I thought I would explode. Carol, Um,
0: can I just comment about that too? Because you had all kinds of stories playing through your own mind things oh, yeah. about, oh my gosh, I was stupid to take this on, or I've, yeah. I, I'm have i too old, I, I don't know that my body can handle this.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and one that was particularly difficult for me to deal with psychologically is I'm a fairly competitive person. Mm. I've run marathons, I have often win my age gender uh, division. Well, I should hope uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I used to run <laughs> marathons, I don't do so much right. of that now. And um, ran my last at age 66, mm-hmm. most recent one. So, you know, anyway, um, I'm not proud of that, as, but it, I recognize that's part of who I am. Yeah. So I did not like the fact that I was the last in our team. Everybody was passing me higher on the mountain as a member of our team. And I'd get really discouraged yeah. about that. Then I would think, you know what they call the last person in medical school on graduation day, the last person in the class.
0: (laughs) The very last one to graduate.
1: (laughs) Doctor. And I thought, I'm going to be a friggin' doctor. I'm going to just keep putting one step in front of the other, however long it takes. I am here today to summit Everest. And then as I got to the top, Hmm. it was a deeply spiritual experience. I felt like I was above heaven, that at any moment I would see some spiritual being an angel or a body sofa floating below me, praying a prayer. Carol, there
0: were people in airplanes below you.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and as I looked out over this incredible landscape, it was this sea of clouds with these enchanted islands, which were the rest of the world's highest peaks, right, sticking up far below me, except for K2, which is way over in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And I was just mesmerized. It was absolutely beautiful. Time stood still. People often ask me, how long was I up there? I think I say in the uh, book thirty years.
0: Right, it, it it no longer becomes relevant at that point. It's a right. whole different world. Yeah, yeah. Amazing experience.
1: So when um, Tendi Sherpa Tendi by bai, buys younger brother, my climbing partner said, "Carol Didi Didi's older sister, mm-hmm. time to go." I felt no loss. I'd had my thirty years. It um, was time above hev- heaven. Right. It was time to go down, and I knew from my preparation, studying the mountain before I began to climb it, that the down climb can sometimes be the most difficult and the most dangerous. I just mm-hmm. didn't know how difficult it would be for me. About two, eight yeah. hours later, I found myself completely blind. I couldn't see anything. And in fact, at one point, I stepped into a crevasse that I didn't see. And Tendi said, Carol Didi, you fall into crevasse. It was like he was scolding me. Scolding
0: you for that.
1: And I was like, Whoa, that was weird. I didn't even see that. And then that was one of the last memories I had of seeing anything. So it was I went from the happiest wow. day of my life within about 2 hours to the worst day of my life of having to descend the world's highest mountain without being able to see anything
0: with a real possibility of perishing. Yes, on that mountain.
1: For some reason that didn't cross my mind, but I knew See, because I couldn't see, with nearly every step I took, I fell. And every time I fell, I just wanted to sit there and give up. But one thing that really saved me is I knew it was humanly possible because in 2001, Mm. Eric Weyenmayer became the first blind person to summit Everest. He was
0: blind, right. And
1: descend and survive. So I thought, I'm not allowed to give up. right it's humanly possible that's not an excuse get up and take another step i would have to order myself sometimes outside uh out loud sorry out loud right at one point i I fell and i think i dislocated my right shoulder so then i couldn't use my right hand arm or shoulder so you're
0: blind and
1: yeah and i remember having this really dark sense of humor thinking what's going to happen next the killer rabbit's going to jump out and bite (laughs) my head off you know and i thought okay that kind of thinking isn't going anywhere um, well,
0: you had watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail at I'd one of the I'd seen that a
1: million years ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one, another thought that I had to deal with was I thought, oh, if only a magic helicopter could show up and remove me and my two climbing Sherpas from this horrible, horrible situation. I felt like I was caught in an infinite loop of getting up and falling down, and that would just go on for eternity. Right.
0: And This was the same day that you summited?
1: Yes, yeah. And uh, and I then my more rational mind would kick in and say, there is no magic helicopter. It's not going to show up. You're going to have to get down on your own power. Get up and take another step. Which
0: happened. You did make I did. it up. I did. You obviously survived.
1: I survived.
0: Uh, Carol, congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> and thank you also for these powerful images because... Your title, now some people misunderstand your title because it would, be, it would be easy to think, oh, well, she wanted a magic helicopter to take her to the summit of Everest. No. no. <laughs> you got there under your own power just fine. Yeah. Well, with all the challenges that you faced, but on the way down is when you started to fantasize if only there were a magic helicopter yeah. to save me from mm-hmm. this situation that seems unconquerable. And, and yet somehow, I, I, I love what this says about the resiliency of the human spirit and the ability of our bodies to do more than we sometimes ask them to do. Yeah. And whatever, whatever Everest you as a listener are facing right now and the fantasies that you have about a magic helicopter to somehow come in and save you from whatever it is, there are principles that allow you to, as, as our guest has here today, to get up again and keep moving forward. What, what principles would you want our listeners to, to gain from that, Carol?
1: Well, I think you've said it very well, Dr. Paul. Um, I think we're stronger often than we realize, mm. and um, it takes both mental and physical strength to overcome some of the challenges that we meet in our life. Uh, Certainly, Everest is a very concrete example of that, but
0: and it's not an either or.
1: No, it's not an either or. You know, I'm thinking of a a former colleague of mine who was diagnosed with fourth stage cancer. Right. Uh, As I was finishing the writing of this book, when I went to visit him, he was having to do various kinds of physical therapy to regain his strength Mm -hmm. after the rigors Mm of chemo and radiation therapy. And right. Talk about the blend, the pairing of mental and physical strength. He was a wonderful example of that.
0: Take care of this body. yep, And take care of this mind.
1: Absolutely. Both are important.
0: It's not an either or. You know what? You inspired me yesterday. Again. (laughs) Carol and I were at a meeting yesterday on the 18th floor of a building in Salt Lake City. And as we were all lining up at the elevator to go down for dinner... (laughs) She's embarrassed by me sharing this, probably. You open the door to the stairs. This is the 18th floor, and I shared with you a little story about um, being on the stairs before and having to carry someone down because it was a fire drill and we couldn't use the elevator. But you do that by choice, and you ride your bicycle all over uh, to wherever you're within reach of a bicycle, which for you is a little bigger range than some people might think. Mm -hmm. Um, you're doing this on purpose because of what we've what we've illustrated here. There's mental strength. There's physical strength. They're both important. Work on both of them, and then move forward with this life and enjoy what you've got.
1: I couldn't agree more. I'm nearing age 70, and mm. yet I have a goal to climb Matterhorn this summer. So I ride my bike, climb stairs, practice yoga, lift weights, run.
0: Can't you just wait in line? And get on the ride with everyone else? Well, Oh, I, not that Matterhorn. The one at Disneyland? Oh, no, no,
1: no, not that one. The one in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought you meant get on the elevator and be sociable. I mean, that's something I struggle with. Is I sometimes am perceived as not very sociable because I take the stairs and everybody wants to, oh, everybody yeah. else wants to take well, the Well, you elevator. mentioned
0: Matterhorn. I just want our listeners to remember that you mean the real deal.
1: I mean the real deal.
0: Yeah. Still on your bucket list.
1: I, was, I have plenty of things on my bucket list.
0: You're not even close to done yet, are you?
1: No, I'm not. That's why I want my 70s and 80s to be vital and full of new adventures.
0: I think that's beautiful. Um, this, this concept of imagine it, take it on, and, and don't take shortcuts. You did serious serious training. I did. To get yourself on the slopes of Everest.
1: I hired a professional trainer for the first time, and I've never met him. We did Mm -hmm. it all over the internet. Oh, wow. But he would send me a training schedule for the week and ask me to report in how I did. And depending on whether I hit the marks or not, he would adjust the training schedule for me. Uh, I feel like he's my younger brother now, and I've Mm -hmm. never met him. Mm. He sent me the most beautiful message. Still
0: haven't met him face to face?
1: No, he lives in New Zealand.
0: Well, you should be able to conquer that mountain as well.
1: <laughs> One day perhaps.
0: <laughs> Carol, let's give people a way to get in touch with you. You have a website.: I do. So this is Dr. Carol Master. Now let's spell the website. The website is Carolmaster.com. Master spelled M-A-S-H-E-T-E-R. Correct. So we're not pronouncing that middle "E. It, it would read Masheter which some of your family pronounces it that way that's right but carolmaster.com uh, carol with a c and and there they can get in touch with you and and access to your books um, carol you're going around to groups and sharing this inspiring story yes helping them to see that they can overcome the everest in their own lives
1: i gave my 100th presentation on uh, this previous monday To an audience of over 300 professionals.
0: Wonderful. And they very much appreciated what you had to share with them. They did. Yes. Dr. Carol Master, living on purpose today. Everybody, it's time for you to do the same thing. Conquer those Everests. Go out there and live on purpose.